Dang it! In the entertainment capital of the world, it's the T.C. Martin Show. We are seeing a special performance in this first half tonight. The doctor operates here. Oh, he has trouble with the spin. To get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Hey, it was BYOG bringing your own guts. And they brought some guts and some heart, and they never quit. The doctor is now in. Hour number two in the books. Glad to have you with us here on this Manic Monday, or a Monday afternoon quarterback edition of the T.C. Martin Show. Yes. Don't forget, at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas on Fridays, come on out and uh, see us. So our best bet segment, of course, in full effect. Pretty impressive again, for the most part. Again, on the college side and the NFL side, our three best college games, three best NFL games, and all that up on the website for you at tcmartinshow.com. So come on out, see the show live, 2 to 4 p.m. each and every Friday afternoon. We continue on to take a look at uh, what... Our eyes saw yesterday in the National Football League, and of course the Raiders get the job done over the Pittsburgh Steelers 26-17. Continue talking about that first hour. We heard from John Gruden and Derek Carr and their thoughts, and yes, this Raider team, 2-0. Hmm, sound familiar? They were 2-0 last year at this point in time as well, too. And people were pumped up, revved up, excited. They went 6-2 on the road last year. So should we get excited or should you curb your enthusiasm? You like that. Had to go Larry David on you right there, right? What would Leon say about this? That's what I want to know. Huh? What would J.B. Smooth say about that? Should you curb your enthusiasm for the Raiders right now? Because I remember living this last year. It's like 2-0, and this is it. You know, hey, first year in Vegas, ready to go. But now this team does feel a little bit different. Because of the defense, because of Gus Bradley, talking about those changes, six new guys on the defensive side of the ball, and they showed up big yesterday. The Raider defense was rock solid yesterday against the Pittsburgh Steelers offense, and they held that vaunted Steelers rushing game to only 39 yards, especially a guy like Najee Harris. I mean, you got Najee Harris, and Pittsburgh is is a great draft choice out of Alabama, but they only carried the ball 14 times. They ran the ball 14 times. And it looks like they were really content with having Roethlisberger drop back and pass. And Roethlisberger looked shaky yesterday. He was pressured most of the day. The Raiders did get to him with two sacks. And this, you know, renewed, revamped, you know, uh, Raider defense, they're starting to pay dividends. And like I've said before, I like Gus Bradley. I've always liked him as a defensive coordinator. But the key here was bringing six new starters in. Ngakwe from Baltimore. But more importantly, guys like K.J. Wright, guys like Denzel Perryman, and guys like Casey Hayward who have played for Gus Bradley before. So they know the system. They know the scheme. And, you know, for me, that was that was the big telling point. And I said, you know, we're going to have to give – this unit time to adapt and be ready. But man, uh, especially after yesterday, they adapted very, very quickly. So no kudos uh, to the Raiders for starting off two and zero. but what are your thoughts? What do you think? Should we temper our enthusiasm a little bit for the Raiders or say, Hey man, this is a, this, this looks like a playoff team. All right. Remember teams that start off the season two and O Make the playoffs nearly 70% of the time. All right. All right, so we'll dive into that. Sam Gordon's going to join us a little bit later on this hour. We'll talk with Sam, who covers the Raiders also for the Las Vegas Review Journal, also covers UNLV football. We were at that game on Saturday night as well, too, and saw the, the beatdown delivered by Iowa State, which pretty much was expected. And we'll also talk some Las Vegas aces with Sam, the man Gordon, as well. But right now, we got to bring in our resident comedian and diehard silver and black, man. That's right. Dennis Gaxiola. <laughs> What's going on, my friend? Brother, I am fired up. 
Um, this is different than last year. We took on two teams projected to be in the playoffs. And, I, I mean, if you can't get excited right now, why, why are you a Raiders fan? That's what I would ask anybody. I still see the criticism on, online, and I'm like, why are these people even fans? You know, um, we're looking good. The defense is the game changer. And I'm, I'm just pumped up, bro. But the team, I mean, to lose three-fifths of your starting offensive line and still come up big on the road is huge. You know, I can I can understand the doubters, but if you're a Raider fan, are you telling me you're saying that your your Raider brethren, your own, are are firing off on social media and being negative? Dennis, what's there to be negative about? This team is two and zero. They beat the Baltimore Ravens, the Pittsburgh Steelers exactly. on the road, two AFC opponents, and two perennial playoff teams. And you could even make the argument two potential, possibly Super Bowl teams as well too. So how could Raider fans be negative? It's it's frustrating, bro. And, um, I, you know, to realize how hard it, it is to win in the NFL and to do it, um, to do it against a playoff team is just amazing. We're looking good. Um, real quick, though, I want to send a shout-out, brother. Raider Nation lost a good one today. Uh, Rob Rivera, a.k.a. Black Hole Rob, Lost his battle to COVID, and the black hole is feeling it right now, brother. But I want to send a shout-out to him. Condolences to his family. Rest in peace, Black Hole Rob, um, a.k.a. Puerto Rican Rob. But, you know, there's a lot to celebrate right now, and he's on the other side cheering it on. The offensive line beat up. They still protected Carr. Gruden's play calling is is great. We went in there, got a little revenge from back in the 70s when Franco Harris did not catch that ball. So, yeah, I'm fired up. The team is looking good, brother. Wait a minute. How many replays have you seen? I mean, you've, you've seen the same replay from NBC for the last, whatever, 50 years. Will you tell me the ball hit, 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 the, uh, hit the, the green cement there in Pittsburgh on that cold day? Come on, man. What are you talking about? Give Franco some you credit, know, man. Right place, wrong time, as Dr. John once sang. Come on, man. Great song. You know what I'm saying? Franco was at the right place, know, the wrong time. Franco's a friend of mine, so come on. don't. Yeah, I understand your Raider Nation still hating here 50 years later, man, but you got to get over that. Come on. Hey, if they broke it down with today's technology, uh, it's a catch. But that's not the point of the argument. <laughs> Oh, I, I, just want, I just want to jam with Dr. John for a second. Can we do that? I mean, you're an old school guy. You know what I'm talking about. You were playing this when yes, you were a little sir. kid, weren't you? Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. So, the team the team is looking good, though, bro. And the NFL is excited about the Raiders right now. Hold on. I just want to hear no, this it, voice, man. Hold, hold on, Dennis. I, I got to hear Dr. John's voice. That little raspy voice, man. I mean, that's what it's all about right here. Come on. Yeah. Come on, Dennis. Give, give me give me some Dr. John voice. Give me some Dr. John. Bro, that, hey, last Monday night, that's all I had left was a Dr. John voice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, speaking of uh, last Monday night, uh, I know you were here, uh, made the trek with all those Raider fans uh, from Northern California. And we were talking about this um, the other night, uh, you know, again, being over at the UNLV game and talking, you know, reliving that because it was such an, uh, an electric night being in that stadium. But I know you, I think you were on the opposite side. Were you on the opposite side of the black hole or were you on the same side where your seats? Because I know you had in zone seats. I was, I was on the, uh, I was in the black hole. I was row 17, black hole. Okay. Right below, right below where Cube was sitting. Okay. Okay. So, so good. Good. So, I can ask you this. So, what is your feeling about this rendition of the black hole? Because it seemed rather tame to me and, and other Las Vegas fans here, who really most of Las Vegas fans, you know, they've never experienced that. They would see, you know, uh, see it on television. So, in, in Oakland. So, how was this version of the black hole uh, to the original in Oakland? It's it's not football savvy yet. They're they're excited, but they don't know when to cheer and when to be quiet and let our team work. You know, um, that's that's amateur hour if your quarterback has to ask you to be quiet. 
you know, when the game's on the line. So they'll, they'll learn, though. You know, it's like opening a brand-new comedy club. You know, the, the audience don't know yet. So the fans will get there, and they'll be okay. So what about the people in the section, though? I mean, I mean, you know, uh, you know, Violator, I know he was here, you know, for the, for the exhibition game. Uh, I, I guess he was going to be coming back here, you know, for, for some of the games. I don't know. But did you see some of the same personnel that you saw in Oakland in that black hole? I'm just curious of what the percentage there is. Um, I'd probably say it's about 25% of the Oakland black hole. It's, it's not, it's not the old black hole. Um, because some of, some of our own fans would have been in trouble if, uh, if, you know, some of the, the, <coughs> excuse me, cause the black, <coughs> excuse me, the black hole in Oakland understood football. Yeah. So they, so, they, they, they would have been gotten a good talking to is what you're saying. A little education process would have been going on. Yeah, their lives would have been threatened. <laughs> but, you know, we, I mean, I, I told people you take the best of East Oakland and the best of Compton and put it with a little bit of Liberace, and then you have our stadium now. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm pumped up for the team. I'm pumped up, I'm pumped up for the roster because we, we got some of Gruden's boys on this team now, and that's exciting, man. It's, it's exciting to see guys that don't quit guys that aren't afraid of the moment. And I think uh, D.C. is going to have an MVP-type year because he's not afraid of the moment. Hmm. You know, we talked last hour about how Derek Carr is is playing phenomenal. He's had over 800 yards, 817 yards to be exact in, in the first two games, more than any quarterback at this point in time. And you could probably relate to this, being a longtime Raider fan. But I'm kind of just in my head here thinking visions that, hey, this is – Derek Carr, third season, fourth season, you know, with John Gruden. And it didn't take Rich Gannon until like year three before he fully comprehended the system. We saw what Gannon did. You see the similarities there? Oh, definitely. Gruden is a is a an offensive genius. And to learn the calls and to learn everything you need to know in his offense, you gotta you gotta have the mind of a fighter pilot and know which button which buttons to push. That's how hard it is to be a quarterback in the NFL, much less under Gruden's uh, game plan. So, D.C. is comfortable in it now, and it, it shows. So, when you went to the game last week, I mean, did you, did you go shoulder pads with spikes on? Did you, what kind of headwear were you wearing? I mean, did you have an old-school throwback jersey? What were you donning, man? Uh, I had I had a brand new Derek Carr jersey, a nice high end one that looked really good, um, and my brand new. Uh, no, I had my old school uh, Raiders uh, veterans cap because you know I'm a veteran. Yep, yep. So, yep. Um, you know, I, I went there. My son had on a nice jersey. Um, I don't. I can't do the mask over my face because people got to recognize pretty when pretty's there. <laughs> so you know. <laughs> Right, so you're okay with I mean, you're okay bringing your, your son in that environment, huh? You know what I'm saying? But then again, like you said, there's a lot of Liberace in there as well, too. A little Donnie and Marie, right? Oh, definitely. My, well, my, I brought. I was comfortable bringing my adult son. I had oh, an opportunity okay. with my teenage granddaughter, but yeah, I said no. I'm not taking her into the black hole. Not, so, not quite yet. It's tame, but it's not that tame. <laughs> All right. Dennis Gaxiola joins us. Uh, Dennis, how much comedy uh, do you use in, in a sports realm when you're doing your stuff? And then specifically Raider stuff. I mean, how, how, how often do you go into that realm? Um, it instantly, as soon as I mention Raiders, the ones that are Raider fans, um, they're fans for life. And then, you know, everybody else starts booing. So, um, you know, I... I, I mix it up with the, in the moment, you know, um, much like the uh, Hall of Fame induction in Sacramento that you that you uh, host every year. Um, I try I try to make it uh, for the moment. Right. Okay. So I've had the privilege doing uh, Freddie Belitnikoff's fundraisers for the Belitnikoff Foundation, and that's just amazing as a Raider fan being able to mix my two careers, um, you know, comedy uh, with my love for the Raiders. So that's those are big. Those are big. You know, sit down and have a have a brewski with Jim Otto. I mean, who does that? You know, but I've, I've been privileged to be able to do that. And uh, 
So I count myself very blessed in that department. Yes, yes. As we know, you've been able to uh, to rub elbows with uh, a, a lot of famous and former athletes as well, too, man. So, you know, we appreciate that. I owe, I owe a lot of that to you. You know, to have guys like uh, Dusty, uh, Dusty Baker and Bill Cartwright know me by my first name, it blows me away. But that's that's because of, of the great work you do at the Special Olympics um, and the Hall of Fame up in Sacramento. So we got to get something like that going in Vegas, bro, so I can be out there more often. There you go. Good stuff. All right, man. So let me ask, you know, uh, Frank Caliendo, you know, he comes on with us, uh, you know, quite a bit as well, too. And, you know, Frank will do shows like wearing Aaron Rodgers jerseys and he used to, you know, wear Brett Favre's jerseys, especially, you know, when he's yeah. performing like in Green Bay. Uh, how many times have you worn a Raider jersey to perform in? Oh, for our events, definitely. You know, for the Raiders type events, yes. Or if I'm here in the Bay Area, yes, you know, and uh, our fan base is deep. So, you know, uh, they get that gets nothing but love. But I want I want to I want you to dip into a little of this for our listeners, okay? So so you're on stage and you bring up the Raiders and you got you know yeah, and then you get the booze and all that sort of thing. I mean, what do you, what are you saying? What are you saying to these guys that are booing you right now because you're wearing a Raider jersey? If it's the 49ers, I remind them that they haven't won since the Mafia was kicked out of the NFL. Um, <laughs> you know, but. Um, See, that, that's the thing about being in a two-team market. You know, um, yeah, if, I, if I'm performing in Green Bay and I have an Aaron Rodgers or a Brett Favre jersey on, it's nothing but love. Here in the Bay Area, you're automatically exposed to a 50-50 crowd. That is true. Exactly. Right. All right. So how many, how many, when you go into neutral sites, I know you travel overseas, you go to do a lot of the Air Force bases, and you're all over the, uh, the country. If you start... You know, talking Raiders, what, what is the percentage of, of people that are, like, either true fans or just, nah, you know, forget that team? Um, you know, everywhere I've performed, when I met, if I do mention the Raiders, there are Raider fans there. It's amazing. I'm, I'm performing in Connecticut and uh, driving to the venue, getting the cars driving me to the venue, and we're behind a truck with a Raider sticker. I just cracked up, man. I said, you know, you can't can't get away from what we do, you know. So the Raiders got love internationally as well as uh, um, locally. So I, I remember being at the Raider Image in Vegas, and a guy from uh, England had, like, he was on a shopping spree. I mean, from a leather jacket, a Raiders leather jacket, to um, to getting a new jersey and just T-shirts and hats. He was like a kid in, in, in Candyland because – he was so excited to be able to get some Raider gear. Um, so, you know, we have we have literally have love all around the world for the Raider Nation. What's your greatest Raider moment for you? And I know whether it's uh, you saw something in person or whether it's, like you said, you know, meeting a guy like Fred Bolitnikoff or whatever. But uh, maybe give us one of each, like maybe, you know, on-field moment and then something else, you know, you know outside of the field to play for you. Um. Monday night was one of the greatest live games I've ever been to. So I'm going to just give that right there. But also, the coolest moment I ever had as a Raider fan at Freddie's golf tournament, um, Jim Otto pulls up in a cart, and in a, you know, in a golf cart, and he's got a prosthetic leg, and there was a few young Raiders there, active players, and he pulls up the pant leg, um, his shorts, his pulls up his shorts, and there's a sticker on his prosthetic leg, and it says "commitment to excellence." And he points to his leg and he tells the young guys, "If you want to be great, this is what it costs." And the look on those young players' faces were like, "Oh my God, this guy is crazy!" <laughs> but to be hanging out with a, a, a legendary, foundational player of the NFL, you know, he's foundationally great. Um, and to have him being able to yank the chain of the young guys, uh, but also show what it costs, that was just surreal, brother. And as a Raider fan, I'll take that to my grave. Yeah. Double O, Jim Otto, one of the greatest. Yeah. No question. No question. Dennis Gaxiola exactly. joins us. Longtime Raider fan. He was here last Monday night. He's performed here in Vegas uh, very so many different times over at the MGM, Brad Garrett's place, on tour with Fluffy here uh, on the Strip. Uh, 
And again, uh, always, always love having him on, and especially talking sports. You know, speaking of comedians, Bill Burr, I saw him a few weeks ago, and I think I, I had talked to you that, you know, that I was going to go see Bill Burr. And I think you were the guy yep. that, that, that told me, hey, Bill's a big sports fan. And then uh, and, and he went into, you know, his, his love for I think the Buffalo Bills and that sort of thing. Uh, talk about uh, either Bill or some of these other comedians that, that you know very well that are also sports nuts like yourself. Uh, Fluffy is a huge Raiders fan, and he has a custom – Jersey from the Raiders um, that they made for him because, you know, Fluff's a big boy. And that's just pretty cool that um, to see guys like Gabriel, um, you you name it, pretty much most of the guys are just big fans. And it's it's cool, you know, when even when you're on the road with these guys to be able to run elbows, rub elbows with them and talk sports and, of course, talk a little smack. And that's that's huge, even in the military. When guys are, um, when when you know you got the regional love, and to see to see guys, um, you know, wear their gear. Like when, especially when you're overseas, um, you wear your gear and you're proud of it. That type of thing. Um, so both of my careers have had a lot of fun with, uh, you know, with people from around the country that love their team. Yeah. What about Brad Garrett? Is Brad Garrett a, a big sports guy too? Um, he's I, he's more. He, I think Brad is more of a uh, an elbow rubber with the celebrities because right. he's you know he's he's been in the game. If you've never seen Brad Garrett live, you've got to go because um, he's he's it's you know it's it's a little bit of the old Sinatra crew, the old Rat Pack crew with. Um, you know, when you get to see Brad. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, definitely, if you've never seen him, you got to go see you got to go see Brad Garrett. All right. A little, little bit different uh, style than uh, watching Mike Tyson on stage, right? Oh, Brad is fearless. <laughs> it's like being in the 60s, watching a comedian have the freedom to just be funny and not worry about an audience's little, pit, a little uh, pity feelings, you know, so... You you go to Brad when he's in town. Go to Brad Garrett's club at the MGM, and you'll you'll see three other comics that are professional touring comics. But the highlight is definitely seeing Brad on stage. There it is. Yeah, Brad Garrett, a, a UCLA alum. You know that? Yeah, he attended UCLA. I think. Uh, well, he only attended there. I think about two or three months before he dropped out. You know, but uh, he, so he can't really be an alum. But he did enroll at UCLA. He. Um, and to have that size and not play basketball is a shame. Right, but, exactly. <laughs> right? Jeez. You know, he's uh, he's a really good guy, really good, really good guy. And uh, he, um, he he's just the coolest guy I know in Vegas next to T.C. Martin. There, Let me put it that way. There you go. Well, you're talking about Brad Garrett, uh, you know, wasting that size. The people uh, here in Vegas say the same thing about you and not being a jockey. I mean, you got you, you the size for that. You got to utilize that, brother. I'm calling. I'm calling Gina. That's it. I'm calling Gina. <laughs> hey, my wife's listening. Lorna's listening. Said that's hilarious. You got me good on that one, TC. There you go, man. I got. I got to try to live up to you. Get at least one one joke or one punchline in there, man. I can't. You know, come on, man. I can't live up to you. There we go. And down the stretch I come. Here comes Gaxiola. Gaxiola around the bend, and Gaxiola falls off the horse. I say that I, I miss I miss jockey voice by one octave, you know. So, <laughs> what is it? Gotta, let's hear jo- let's hear jockey voice. What would jockey voice sound like coming down the stretch? You know, I'm talking about the you know how the jockeys have that high pitch voice. That's what uh, I'm talking about. Yeah, I want you to give me jockey pitch. That's what I'm looking for. Um, yeah, I got to have a couple of tequilas to do that one good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother. You know, I, I asked you, I was going to be a training jockey because you can have a little more weight. And um, when I was in the backstretch for my first lesson, uh, a jockey got thrown right in front of me. Really? And that, that was my end of dealing with thoroughbreds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe you want to stick to the harness races. You know, like you'd be good in a buggy. I have seen 300-pound guys, you know, uh, you know, be the drivers in, in harness racing. So you might have a shot. 
Even though you know, you know, you know we're close to 300 pounds, but you know my point. Exactly. Uh, I'm down to 170, man. I'm lighter than the champ, Tony Lopez, woo! right now. So that sounds like a match. I mean, I mean, you, you weigh less than him right now. So there you go. I mean, that guy spent his career at 130, 135. I mean, come on, man. I think we could, we could have a match there. I, I told him that I would go and have a celebrity boxing match if he got under 170, and he can't do it, so I'm safe. <laughs> well, that's, that's because he eats like I do, man. You know, there it is. Speaking uh, of eating, okay in the home front. What's that? You know, are you okay on the home front? I saw you. Uh, you had a pretzel, and uh, the War Department didn't know. They did not approve this. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was at Allegiant Stadium, and again, you know, I had a, a plethora of, uh, of great stuff, and I'd never seen a pretzel. That that big a size before, so yes, I had to, you know, I had to indulge and, and, and take a picture of that. I also had the biggest Rice Krispie treat there at Allegiant Stadium as well, too. Uh, you know, made from scratch there. So give the the folks, uh, you know, down below there the the VIP uh, club level there. Uh, great stuff, man. So next time you come, we'll we'll, we'll take you downstairs and and you can uh, partake in that. Uh, next time I come, I will not try to do the day of game travel because yes. I did that. That's that was a big mistake. Okay, here's so, what you're doing. Okay, when are you coming again? You coming for next week for the Dolphins game? When's your next game? No, I, I'm committed. I'll be in Michigan performing, but I will be there for the Kansas City game. That's right. Okay, so for Kansas City game. All right, so just plan on you got to get here uh, for a Friday afternoon so we can have you at the Cosmopolitan. For a Friday show. Definitely. You got to do that. Definitely. And I'll have my jersey on. There you go. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, my man. Uh, appreciate uh, the time as always. Uh, tell Lorna thanks for listening and uh, and uh, keep keep the smile alive. Uh, one of the best comedians. One of the cleanest comedians as well, too. And uh, for the people that don't think you can be funny uh, w- without having to go to the X-rated material, uh, this, they're so false. And Dennis does a fantastic job of that. Good, clean humor, fantastic fun. And he'll always dive into a sports reference for you. You know it. There you go, brother. Right on, brother. I appreciate you. All right. Congratulations on your 2-0. and and, and if you say we one more time, I don't know what I'm going to do here, man. All right. You don't play for the I'm team. Little- Remember that. I'm a little bit French. Yeah. I'm a little bit French. Wee oui, wee. Oui. <laughs> All right, my man. Take care. Appreciate the time today. Likewise, brother. All right, Have there he is. Dennis Gaxiola. Uh, Google him. Find him. Dry Bar Comedy. It has millions of views on that. If you've never seen his stuff, go check it out. Dennis Gaxiola. G-A-X-I-O-L-A. That's how you spell it. Uh, dry Bar Comedy. Fantastic stuff. When we come back... Sam Gordon joins us. We'll talk more football and uh, a little college as well. You're listening to some bullshit on the TC Monitor. And don't forget, get the William Hill mobile app if you don't have it already. Yes, and use that promo code TC50. That's it. Deposit at least $50 into a brand new account, and boom. They will give you $50 into your account. They'll add it right there. Well, take a couple days to get in there. But, yeah, deposit at least $50. uh, $50. They'll match it with an additional $50. Just go to any of the William Hill Sportsbooks, any of the kiosks, any there around town, and uh, use the promo code TC50, $50 into your account. And come on by and see us on a Friday afternoon at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. Our best bet segment happens each and every Friday. And all those picks are up on the website at tcmartinshow.com. All right. Uh, a lot of football we're talking about today, of course. Uh, our typical Monday afternoon quarterback edition of the show. Uh, let's dive into it from the NFL side, the college side, and uh, even talk a little Aces basketball with our good friend Sam Gordon, who covers it all, and I underline the word all, in parentheses, all, capital letters, all, Sam the man, Gordon. Is there so- Tell me something you don't cover at the RJ. Uh, Golden Knights, TC. That's, that's right, just, you don't. That'd be, that'd be it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, this is true. And I know that... Uh, you know, we have been at games together, like Aces games, and I would be like doing double duty, and I'd say to Sam, I said, you going to the Aces game? He goes, no, man, I'm a basketball guy, man. Not on my docket at all. So I, I respect that, man. 
I appreciate it. I appreciate it, TC. How you doing on this yeah. beautiful Monday? I'm doing good. Oh, and boxing too, by the way. We can't forget that with, with, with Sam as well too. So love seeing him at the fights. All right, man. We got a lot to cover here, but let's start with the Raiders. Uh, the impressive victory yesterday, twenty six seventeen. They get the job done on the road. And uh, let me ask you, Sam, how much of a doubter are you, or are you a proponent here as a Raiders sit two and zero? Deja vu. We were here last year where the Raiders were two and zero. But not two victories like this, where you beat two perennial, you know, playoff teams in the AFC. You beat Baltimore at home on Monday night, but then you go into Pittsburgh on a short week. You got to travel the early game. You're banged up, and you beat a Steelers team. I was gonna say rather convincingly. Yeah, that was that to me, TC. That's a signature victory, uh, especially for for Derek Carr. Uh, just given all the kind of turnover he's been through, everything that's been going on around him since he got with the franchise in 2014 for him to come out and perform the way he did uh, to lead that team where there's no running game to speak of, where the Raiders don't even really make an effort to run the ball. Cause they, you know, it felt like there was an understanding from the get go without Josh Jacobs and, and with the injuries on the offensive line. It was like one of these things was like, Hey, look, Derek, go win the game, um, go win the game. And he did. That's exactly what he did. I was so impressed with his poise, his command of the offense, his accuracy, uh, and and credit you know the coaching staff too for for some incredible calls in some big spots. John Gruden and that offensive staff doing an incredible job. Um, so so that's first and foremost. He in both games. Uh, now he, of course there's a slow start that first quarter against Baltimore where he was trying to find a rhythm. But once he found that rhythm uh, with that quick passing game in the second quarter, he's been smooth sailing from there. Uh, I believe he leads the NFL in passing yards. He's one of the highest rated quarterbacks. And, and to go in there on the road uh, and, and carve up an elite defensive team like that uh, in a hostile environment and one of the toughest places to play was super impressive, um, was, was super, super impressive. And, and he's playing, again, it's only been two games, but those are as, as good a back-to-back performances as any quarterback, as you can put together as a quarterback. And, and then big picture, TC, in terms of the whole season, uh, you know, on the offense side of the ball, we, the injuries are what they are. They're going to have to manage the situation on the offensive line. But for me, what, what definitely looks sustainable at this point is, is the defense. And, and that's not to say that every game they're going to have a dominant defensive performance or a, a very, very, very good defensive performance like the one they had um, yesterday where they kept Pittsburgh at bay. But this team has a pass rush now, and there, there, are, there is some cohesion, and there is, there is more experience in the secondary, and the linebacking core is better. And that, to me, feels like it's going to be sustainable. Now, I don't, again, I don't know exactly how good they're going to be throughout the course of the year. But this was a bottom five unit in the league last year, TC, and that was really the reason that the Raiders, I think that the number one reason the Raiders fell apart is, is their defense was never reliable. And if, if this unit is just solid with what we've seen on the offensive side of the ball as, as the offense gets healthier and as the young receivers continue to emerge around Darren Waller, uh, I think this team can be legit and, and legit and competing for uh, for a playoff berth and, and, and possibly doing a little bit of damage. I don't, I don't want to be too presumptuous. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. But like you said, Baltimore, I mean, we saw what Baltimore did last night. Baltimore beat, Kansas, Baltimore beat the Chiefs. Yeah. And, and Pittsburgh beat Buffalo in Buffalo in week one. And Buffalo was, was in the AFC Championship game last year as well. So two huge uh, victories to start the season. And now it's about maintaining that consistency as the schedule uh, eases up a little bit and not resting on any laurels. Yeah, I've been talking a lot about the defense and, and you know, to the point that you just brought up as well, too, is that you talk about the, the veterans and that's the difference between last year and this year. Last year, I mean, you had to, you know, you had Trayvon Mullen and you had all these younger guys and even Mullen looked goofy again yesterday, but it's because of guys like Casey Hayward. You bring him in there and then you got a Denzel Perry, even though he's injured now, but K.J. Wright. I mean, K.J. Wright... It's only been here less than two weeks, and the results for him, boom, boom, in two games, you know, Baltimore on the home opener Monday night, and then he was uh, very impressive again yesterday uh, against Pittsburgh. When you have six new starters, and more and more of those guys, you know, are veteran guys like Ngakwe, who came over from Baltimore. I mean, that is impressive, and it starts with Gus Bradley. And I think it's great that Gus Bradley went to John Gruden and went to Mike Mayock and said, you know what? I need some of my dogs. I need some of my guys. And he went and got those guys that had played for him, those three other guys that played for him, whether it was in Seattle or with the Chargers, and now they still got mileage left in the tank. And and to me, that is the big difference. You're right. I mean, this Raider defense, I don't know if I want to go so far to say that they're totally legit because it's two weeks, but they got it done against – 
you know, Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers and Lamar Jackson and and the Ravens. And, you know, both those offenses are, are, are totally different, but they held up and got him to 2-0. So I, I agree with you. I think that the defense is the key. It's going to be the key. And, uh, and Gus Bradley is the man right now. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And he has, I mean, you take a look at what he's been able to do as a defensive coordinator, you know, the last decade or so it's, it's, he's a stabilizer. He brings stability. He, he, there's a track record that he's had throughout the course of his career in one developing young players. And I think we've already seen that so far, just with some of the way, the, the way that some of these young guys have improved uh, Jonathan Abram uh, being one of the Max Crosby being another one. And then, like you said, he, he brings in some of his own veterans and now, you simplify the system a little bit. He, he plays a lot of cover three. There's not a lot of crazy blitz, blitz packages. They do what they do, and they do it very fundamentally, and they're disciplined and sound with what they do, and that has pretty much worked everywhere he's gone for the last decade. And you know, Even in Jacksonville, where he was the head coach, he planted the seeds and, and, and helped develop a lot of those players that propelled, propelled that team to the AFC Championship game uh, after the 2017 season in which they were you know, in a dogfight with Tom Brady and the Patriots uh, that year in a, you know, in a really, really, really close game. So I think, to, to, to your point, what, what he's been able to do uh, in nurturing some of the young players while bringing in a mix of veterans and just, and just stabilizing his unit uh, has been huge. And there's certainly a calming influence I think he has, and there's an energy to him. But players seem to, to really gravitate towards him. Um, everything that we've heard you know, out at the facility uh, when players speak is that he's invested in them, not just as football players. There's a very human element to him, and, and that has to that has to mean a lot when you're a young player trying to find find your way in this league. So again, I'm, I'm with you. It, it's it's early. I think we still need a little bit bigger of a sample size, but but the defense has certainly held its end of the bargain uh, the first two games and has has played a crucial role uh, in both victories. I think the thought coming in, TC, was that the offense the offense was a top ten unit last year in terms of the way it was able to move the ball, yards, and points as well. I mean, it was, uh, for all the issues that the Raiders had last year, the, the play of Derek Carr wasn't, you know, wasn't one of them. And I think the thought was if you can just stabilize the defense, you know, get it to be a middle-of-the-pack unit instead of a bottom-five unit, that you have a chance to compete. And so far, uh, you know, through two games against playoff teams from last year, not only has the defense, you know, been stabilized, but they, they look to be pretty good. So, uh, again, you know, it's about managing injuries and continuing to develop. It's a long, long, long season. There's going to be challenging games on the schedule. We understand that. But, but Raiders fans have to be encouraged by what they've seen uh, because this defense has been leaky, leaky, leaky for a long, long time. And to have a unit that looks competent out there against, you know, Pro Bowl caliber quarterbacks has to be exciting for, for Raider fans and, and for the Raiders. You know, back to the offense. I mean, Carr has has looked phenomenal. Uh, Twenty eight for thirty seven yesterday, three hundred eighty two yards. And remember, you know, you mentioned that Baltimore game where he got off to such a slow start. Remember, Sam, he was two for ten for twenty two yards in that first quarter. He ended up with four thirty five against the Ravens. Yeah. Four hundred and thirty five against that Ravens defense. And say what you want about the Ravens being you know injured, but that's pretty much on the offensive side of the ball for them. I mean, defensively. You know, they're still pretty solid. And the Steelers, I mean, they were the top defense coming into the season projection-wise. You know what I mean? So, yeah, the Raiders definitely can do it offensively. I want to ask you this. How do you feel about the wide receiving core? Because, you know, Henry Ruggs, a lot of people felt like, okay, maybe this guy was a reach. I mean, smaller stature. And I know Mike Mayock and John Gruden loved the speed. And they thought, okay, this guy could be a Tyree Kill. Well, he was not even close to Tyree Kill last year. You know, had drops, very inconsistent. But he did, you know, show up big in games last year. I mean, he showed up big in, in the Kansas City game. He, he won the Jets game for him with that touchdown pass. Let's go back to Monday night at Allegiant Stadium, third and 10, and that ball down the sideline. He didn't go for a touchdown. Down, but it got the uh, the Raiders deep into Baltimore territory and led to that touchdown. And then, boom, yesterday, he gets away in that 61-yard touchdown pass. So, Henry Ruggs, I mean, at times we're seeing, okay, maybe this guy can play in this league. But when you lose a guy like Nelson Aguilar and other wide receivers that they've lost over the last few years, you know, you have to have a little bit of concern for the Raiders uh, at the wide receiver position. Give me your thoughts. Yeah, I think I think they were counting. You know what they were counting on is look. They looked at the situation and, and saw what the what the kind of money Nelson Aguilar was commanding and said, "Look, we invested you know draft capital into these receivers, and it's it's time for them to develop and grow up." And they were putting a lot of responsibility, um, dare I say, pressure on on Henry Ruggs, on Brian Edwards developing. And then you, know, you bring in a, a veteran like Willie Sneed situationally. Uh, and then you have Darren Waller as well. So I think what we've seen so far in these first two weeks is you're seeing those young guys 
those young receivers, um, they're starting to grow up a little bit. They're starting to kind of come into their own and figure out who they are and how they can contribute to this offense. Of course, with Ruggs, it's always going to be with his speed, and I think what we've seen is he's, you know, there, there's some been, been some refinement there, and the Raiders have a better understanding now after having him around for a year about ways that he can, uh, ways to unlock him and how to free him up, and it's, you know, credit to him for, I think, refining his, his route running a little bit and, and just adjusting to the, the physicality and the pace of the NFL game. I think we've seen that with Brian Edwards as well, where he can be a guy that can stretch the field for you a little bit, but he's also that kind of that big body possession receiver uh, that can balance out what Ruggs is doing down the field. And then, and then of course, you have to mention Hunter Renfro, who I think in two plus years here has evolved into you know one of the more reliable uh, slot receivers in the league. He had a huge third down grab yesterday up the seam, a dime by Derek Carr, and out you know where he extends uh, up the right seam for a crucial play to get into Steeler territory. His route running, uh, his ability to, to, to get separation, um, not just on short routes, but routes down the field. I mean, Derek Carr trusts him down the field as well. And then all three of those guys complement Darren Waller, who at this stage, um, doing what he's done the last couple of years, now at 29 years old, uh, in, squarely in his prime, is flat out one of the best um, the best players in the NFL and a, a walking matchup problem. So uh, to me, the way I look at it is, you know, Waller is always going to be your number one receiving option, and those young guys uh, collectively, you know, are going to compliment him and what he can do. Uh, but there has been, you know, there was no question there was pressure on those young guys to perform, and they've, they've answered the bell so far with Edwards and Ruggs and, uh, and Renfro all making key plays uh, so far this season in, in route to those two victories. So I've been impressed with what I've seen with those young guys uh, so far. And, again, there's plenty of time for them to continue to grow and develop, and, and the Raiders are counting on that because, yes, they're 2-0, and but there's going to be more and more film and better, you know, better schemes to slow those guys down as the season goes on, and they're going to have to continue to adjust and adapt. And, and there's no reason they can't do that. Sam Gordon joins us from the Las Vegas Review Journal. All right, Sam, let's talk a little bit about the other tenant that shares Allegiant Stadium, and that was Saturday night. Iowa State puts a hurt on UNLV, forty-eight to three. UNLV did not get a first down until the nine forty-five mark of the third quarter. And uh, this, we knew Iowa State was going to be hungry. They're going to be ready after that embarrassing loss to Iowa again uh, for the fourth year in a row. And they, they came out of hungry. But just looking at these two squads just in warm-ups and the, the opening possessions, I mean, the size that Iowa State had, I mean, this is what UNLV attributes uh, you know, to be at some point in time. But I know for a lot of fans there, you know, Sam, and you saw it, you were there just like I was, I mean, there was at least 25,000 Iowa State fans. There was a lot of Cyclone Red there. And uh, UNLV fans, they didn't show up. I, I was no. counting between about seven or eight thousand there, and uh, you know, really to have you know less than thirty five thousand you know in the house uh, in the Legion Stadium for this game, which was like kind of the marquee game all season long, a little bit disappointing. Yeah, I would certainly say so. Um, it, it felt, I think it felt to me, TC, like a Rebels road game, even though yep. they were at home. I just kind of think it, it speaks to the state of the program and where they're at right now during this rebuild under Marcus Arroyo. I think the biggest thing, you know, in order for this team to to generate some momentum and start turning things around is they got to get some consistency and some stability at quarterback. And that's not breaking news. You know, you, you know that I know that Marcus Royo knows that the rebels know that, that they have to kind of get this thing solved. TC, you look at the last six quarters of play last six quarters of play, they play four quarterbacks. And, um, and now I think with, with the UNLV, there is some, there is some optimism this week that the, the, the best of those four quarterbacks, the best that we've seen so far, Doug Brumfield, is going to be able to play. He's the only one that's been able to enter, uh, to, to engineer a touchdown drive this year. Uh, the, the redshirt saw, uh, the redshirt freshman, second-year player, however you want to label him, um, was able to come in off the bench against Eastern Washington and do some things and then, you know, pick up on that, pick up on where he left off in the first half against Arizona State leading back-to-back long drives. He, of course, exits the game. Uh, in the third quarter with an undisclosed upper body injury, and then it's, it's been all bad from there. You know, pretty much punt, 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 uh, punt, 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 so on and so forth. They, they've scored just just three points since he's exited. So until they find some stability at quarterback, I think it's it's going to be hard to see them, uh, com- you know, competing at a high level uh, in the Mountain West. It's just been it's been too much turnover. There's a lot of youth at that position, a lot of a lot of inexperience, and they have to figure out a way to shore that up. And I think Brumfield coming back if he's able to play. On Friday, certainly gives him a lift. Uh, he has uh, a big arm, is able to do some things with his legs, get outside the pocket a little bit, and there seemed to be some chemistry with him and Charles Williams in the backfield there that we haven't seen with the other quarterbacks. But uh, if they don't get this thing figured out, it's going to be a lo- another long, long, long season. And, and unfortunately, that's what it seems, feels like that's what Rebels fans 
are accustomed to, you know, hence why they weren't out uh, on Saturday supporting their team against number 14 Iowa State. I can't believe I'm going to ask you this question, but it's, it bears relevance here. Could UNLV not win a game this year? Could they go winless again? Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I think it's I think it's certainly on the table for, from what we've seen so far. I mean, where where does lose. the win? I mean, seriously, say, let's play the schedule game. Where does that win come from? I mean, maybe at Texas San Antonio, but they're a pretty decent team as well too. And then the rest is all Mountain West Conference play. Where does that win come at New Mexico? That yeah, I mean it's a great question, TC. Based on what we've seen so far, it's 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 hard to say. It's hard to say right now. I think the Rebels are counting on a lot of growth and a lot of continued improvement and a lot of cohesion in order to be competitive in one of these games. But Eastern Washington, as good as they are and as respectable as they are, that that's still an FCS program. They're not even a full FBS team, and they came in here and beat the Rebels at home. So yeah, I think I think we're definitely looking at the possibility of a of a long season like that. Provided they don't they don't uh, develop and, and improve, especially on the offensive side of the ball, I think for whatever progress we've seen defensively, and I think there has been a little bit of growth on defense, uh, especially I think we saw that early on. But it's so hard to measure that when the offense continues to go three and out, three and out, three and out. I mean, if your defense is on the field all game long, it doesn't matter how much you've improved because the offense can't score, and you're out. You're out. You're going to fatigue at some point. So. There is definitely a lot of a lot of room for growth uh, with with this team, and I, again, I'm I'm being um, I'm putting that lightly there. But there's in, in, until they get this quarterback situation figured out, until they get some stability there, um, it, it's hard envisioning envisioning a win. They they understand they have their work cut out for them. It's a long, long season, and it's already been long so far with the, with the three games they've played. It, it's it's tough at this point based on what we saw Saturday uh, to, to see them competing. They're counting on growth internally, and we'll see where it goes from there. All right, uh, one team that we know uh, is pretty rock solid, and that's the the team that we both cover, the Las Vegas Aces. And the Aces uh, secure the number two overall seed, uh, getting a pair of victories on the road at Chicago and at Phoenix. And, and the victory that they got yesterday, Sam, was was pretty incredible, considering that you know Liz Cambage came back and she only played nine minutes. Uh, Asia Wilson had limited minutes. Uh, Chelsea Gray, the exact same thing. But here comes Kelsey Plum, basically sealing the deal for. Sixth woman of the year. Uh, phenomenal performance by her, Jackie Young. And, oh, by the way, Jisoo Park with a game-winning block. Outstanding stuff. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And even though that game, like you said, they clinched the number two seed on Friday. Yeah. That game didn't necessarily mean anything in the standings. I think it still shows well when uh, when you compete like that in a game that doesn't mean anything. The second unit, I thought, was tremendous yesterday. And really ending the season on a high note, on a positive. Like you said, Jisoo Park. Um, universally respected and revered as a teammate and beloved by her teammates and by the coaching staff doesn't play a ton because you let you have Liz Cambage and, and veterans like, you know, Kia Stokes in front of her and Asia Wilson in the front court, but very cool moment for her. And it's, it's very encouraging. I think from the Aces perspective to end the season like that, they end the year TC with seven uh, double figure scores, seven players who average in double figure scoring. That's a new WNBA record. Previous record was five. Uh, and, and they won. You know, they figured some things out down the stretch in terms of their chemistry on both sides of the ball. They, they got out playing fast-paced basketball. Defensively, I thought they were excellent. I think we saw some smaller lineups without Liz Cambage out there that, that could be really interesting um, in the postseason where, where, you, where you don't, you're not playing a traditional, uh, a traditional center, four perimeter players around Asia Wilson, or, or even five, you know, five smalls out there, quote-unquote, with De'Erica Hamby um, operating as the big. We saw some interesting lineups. So based on everything we've seen this year building up to this point, I think this team's ready to go uh, for the playoffs. Now, the key, TC, uh, is going to be figuring out how to integrate Liz Cambage back into that lineup in, in games that count. And, and fortunately for the Aces, they don't begin their, their postseason slate until next Tuesday, having earned that double bye in the WNBA semifinals. So there's gonna, they're going to get reps with her in practice. She's going to have time. To, to get her conditioning back after uh, after overcoming uh, about with COVID nineteen, and, and that's going to be, I think, the key because th- there are going to be matchups where they're they're dependent on her size, uh, her ability to protect the rim, and of course her ability um, to score on the block. But they did find a nice group without her, and that's what makes this so interesting: is, is how do you bring her back in the lineup uh, with a group that had had figured out a way to play without her and that was playing so well without disrupting the natural chemistry. That's the challenge for Bill Lambeer uh, and his coaching staff. But in terms of the roster, the personnel on this roster, and what we've seen from them so far, they have all the pieces necessary uh, to win the championship. They, they can play multiple styles. They have experience now. 
They have bigs. They have guards. They have depth. They can defend. Uh, they check all the boxes. Now it's, it's time to go get it done, and it feels like they've been building for this particular postseason since the franchise came into town in 2018, and you know it all gets going for them next week. Again, they have a week to get ready, and then it's showtime. Yeah, and uh, if fans uh, still have not jumped on the Aces bandwagon, now is the time because now it's postseason. They've got a top two seed. You have, unlike last year, you have games at home at the Mandalay Bay Michelob Ultra Arena. Get out there. Tickets are now available, and uh, this has got to be a story, Sam. It's got to be a story because we've we've said this before. We talked about, hey, who's going to be the first team that, that has a parade down Las Vegas Boulevard which championship you know which professional team and I'm still thinking it's going to be the Las Vegas Aces and this could be the year and I wasn't saying that in the beginning of the year because I thought hey Connecticut's going to be tough Seattle's going to be tough but the way the Aces have have played the last couple weeks and this chemistry has has come along uh, they are built you know for this so uh, we we need fans to get out there and realize this and support this because uh, this is a big time basketball that they're starting to play right now. Without question, TC, and when when, when Michelob Ultra Arena has a you know a great crowd, and we've had some great crowds there over the years, um, certainly with us covering those games, it, it's a, it's a really unique atmosphere in a very 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 cool setting. Um, so the, these games are huge coming up, and, and you know Connecticut's very good. We understand that Seattle's the defending champions; they need to be respected. And Minnesota, the three seed, you know, took two, took uh, two of three from the Aces this year so far. So it's not going to be you know a cakewalk by any means. But when you look at the personnel, you look at the experience, you look at the way that they're able to match up against these other teams, and you look at the health. I think it's crucial. Uh, they're healthy. They're, they're healthy with getting Liz Cambage back. They, they avoid major injury to all their other key rotation players throughout the course of the season. That I think is the big. It has to be one of the biggest things going into the playoffs. Now you get a week to rest. You can you can kind of watch and see how this thing shakes out, and then you can get together uh, game planning and, and preparing for whoever is going to be um, in the WNBA semifinals. I believe that's going to be the Lynx, and I think we're in for a heck of a matchup there. And then it's you know whoever makes the WNBA finals, I think it's going to be a heck of a heck of a series there too. But the Aces, no doubt in my mind, have the the pieces necessary. They have the experience. Now it's just about going out there and getting it done uh, in in a big, high-pressure situation. You got it. All right, Sam, appreciate it. As always, my friend, uh, we'll talk to you later. Continue following him everywhere in the RJ, UNLV, the boxing, the Aces, the Raiders. Appreciate you, my man. Thanks, DC, for having me. Talk soon. You got it. All right. We'll get Sam Gordon here in studio as well, too. All right. uh, I want to thank Matthew Holt for joining us. Dennis Gaxiola, Sam Gordon. Tomorrow, Nikki Vargas, the president of the Aces, is going to join us. Heidi Fang as well from the RJ covering the Raiders just back from Pittsburgh. It's a terrible Tuesday. You miss any part of the show, go to the website. Check out the Raiders blog, the article, the recap, the interviews. It's all there at tcmartinshow.com.